Well, if you open up to Ephesians chapter 5, oh no, actually chapter 6 now. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first four verses. And I titled the message, uh, Raising Children. That's a real brilliant title, Raising Children. And uh, as you turn there to Ephesians 6, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time that God anoints the preaching of his word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you for bringing those here today who are here. And uh, we know, Lord, they came to hear your word preached. I pray also for those who wanted to be here but could not, whether it's because of sickness or, or whatever it may be, Lord, or taking care of a loved one. I pray that uh, they'd be able to watch the sermon online and, and to be blessed of you. But Lord, the, the people that are here, they came to hear your word preached. They came to hear your truth, not the faulty wisdom of man. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man, that you would anoint me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. Pray you'd open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word and then empower us by your spirit to apply these truths to our lives for your glory and to build your kingdom. Uh, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, raising children. Before I start this, last week was on the godly marriage, and I just wanted to reinforce a couple points, um, or even make some points that I might not have made. One is, you know, since the Bible tells the wife to submit to the husband, what does the husband do if the wife doesn't submit? Okay? And, you know, I mean, if she doesn't know about that passage, you might want to show her that passage. But if she knows that God's word says to submit, what do you do? Well, the Bible tells you, you love your wife as Christ loves the church. And um, what if uh, a, a wife out there, what if a lady out there, her husband doesn't love her as Christ loves the church? In fact, none of us, no man does that. We're not capable of it. But let's say he's not even close. Okay? Um, what does the wife do? Well, God's word says, submit to him as to the Lord. So, so keep in mind, when we, when we study the Bible, remind yourself, you know, James even calls God's word, God's law, God's word, a mirror. So not only did I learn about God from his word, and I learned many of his truths, but I learned more about me from studying God's word than from talking to my friends, thinking about who I thought I was, looking in the mirror, whatever it may be. So whenever you study the scriptures, keep in mind when you're reading the scriptures, it's talking to you first. The temptation in America today is to say, okay, I'm, I'm really messed up, I'm not doing too well. Let me go into the scriptures and find out where everybody else is messed up, and then that causes me to be messed up. So we like to blame our problems on our parents, what they did, you know, 40 years ago or whatever it may be. And uh, we like to blame our problems on everybody but ourselves. So, you know, a husband should not look at the scriptures and say, okay, that's what's wrong with my marriage. My wife's not submitting to me. I knew it. And a wife shouldn't look at the, 
the scriptures and say, okay, that's what's wrong with my marriage. It's my husband. He doesn't love me as uh, Christ loved the church. Start with yourself, okay? We all want to change the world. Allow the Holy Spirit to change yourself. That'll be a, you'll have a pretty big impact on your world doing that. But when it's always somebody else who's got the problem, we want to blame all our problems on somebody else. I've, I've known guys who destroyed three or four marriages and they were middle-aged guys and they still blamed all their problems on their parents. You know, they just kind of get over it. You're a grown-up, start acting that way. Get your face in God's word and do what God's word says. You can't do it in your own strength, but you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit if you trust in the Lord Jesus. So uh, I have to uh, bring up a correction. You know, I was telling you how hard it is for ladies to communicate with guys. And, um, you know, we've been married, me and the missus, for 37 years now. And I said that she doesn't like flowers. And because every time I brought home flowers, I struck out. Okay? I didn't know. She likes carnations. So... After 37 years, I learned something new. So, so you know, guys, if you're like scratching your head and saying, what is she thinking? What is my wife thinking? Don't worry about it. You know, it, uh, the day will come, Jesus will come back, and we'll know as we're fully known. Until then, do, just do the best you can and just, just love your bride, and brides love your husband. So, and, uh, but now we come to, yeah, but by the way, just to follow up on that, there are guys that have been demeaned, even by famous preachers, uh, treated like they weren't being a man because their wife wasn't submitting to them and acting like if they just put their foot down and acted like a man, everything would change. Um, look, we're each responsible to God. So... Um, if uh, a guy's wife isn't doing, if your spouse isn't doing what they're supposed to do, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, uh, people need to, to treat you um, in, a, in, a, in a much nicer manner. And, um, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, if you have a su submissive wife or a loving husband, that makes it easier for you to obey God. Okay? So God's word doesn't say, you know... Um, you know, do this if people treat you well. Okay? Uh, God's word just says do this. You know, so it's one of those situations where you're responsible for God, how you react to each situation, and, um, and God is not going to give you a green light to sin just because you're being uh, mistreated. Okay? So keep in mind, husbands do your job. God's empowered you to do your job. Wives, do your job. And uh, if, if your spouse just isn't walking with the Lord on that point, just pray for them. Pray for them. And, uh, and uh, so now we're going to move on to, to children. Remember, the wife is to submit to the husband. God makes the, the husband, the man, the head of the household. Again, I've seen situations where guys were lousy leaders and... Um, and the wife was a real good leader, but it's not my universe. It's not my church. It's not my 66 books. 
Okay, so let God be true and every man a liar. And so God wants the man to be the head of the household. Now keep in mind, ladies, your submission to God is greater than your submission to your husband. So if your husband's telling you to do something that is sin, that's where you got to draw the line. Okay? And um, it's just like our submission to the government is not as high as our submission to God. And uh, we might have to say we must obey God rather than men. But submission, I likened it to a three-star general submitting uh, to the command of a four-star general. The word submission is not the same as the word obey. When you get to the word obey here in chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey is more like a private and their relationship with a four-star general. It's just like obey, okay? Um, so the relationship between a husband and a wife should be the relationship between two leaders in their household, but the one responsible for God for that household is going to be the husband. But when it comes to the child, this is supposed to be yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And so instruction to children here in the home is to obey their parents. I put obey believing parents, but even if you have non-believing parents, as long as they're not ordering you to disobey God, you obey them as well. But children are to obey uh, their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You are to listen to your parents. Um, I've, I've got a lot of passages from Proverbs listed um, on the handouts. I don't know if you have the handout there, but they're over there on the table. Um, but um, I've got an awful lot of passages from Proverbs, a few from Psalms, a few from other places, and I doubt we're going to be able to turn to all of them. In fact, we're probably not even going to be able to look at most of them. So, uh, so when you get home and throughout the week, if you want to look at some of these other passages uh, as well, that, that would help greatly. And, uh, but we're to obey our parents, listen to our parents, and when a child obeys, that brings joy uh, to the parents, okay? You know, there's nothing, um, nothing sadder for parents, you know, than would they have a child who's rebellious, and no matter how hard they, they try, no matter how much they pray, the child just continues uh, to rebel. And, uh, and then we're told to learn from correction. Look at Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12, in verse 1, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I mean, that's pretty, pretty clear. Um, you know, I, I used to box growing up in New Jersey, and uh, when the old-timers would tell you you're doing something wrong, like you're you're dropping your right hand when you're throwing a left. Don't do that. You'll get hit in the face. Uh, the better fighters usually listen to instruction. We're open to instruction. But the guy who thinks he doesn't need any instruction and hates correction 
um, that's really being foolish. You're not going to get anywhere continuing to do things uh, the wrong way. Proverbs 13, verse 1, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Okay? Don't be, don't be arrogant. Don't think that there's nobody out there, you know. And, and by the way, we can have like a super spiritual arrogance where we can act like, well, all I need is the Bible. It's just me and God and, and the, from the Bible, and I can learn everything I need to learn. Um, God often uses other people even to help us to understand the Bible and to help us to apply the Bible. That's why we come to churches and have preachers preach to us. That's why preachers study the teachings of the church fathers throughout the centuries. Okay? When you got 2,000 years of Christians studying God's word, that can be of great help to a pastor when he's preparing uh, his, his sermons. So often we have this, this arrogant idea that, no, I know it all, okay, and I don't need help from you. It's really fun early in life, once kids are able to, to talk, you tell everything you tell them, you know. My whole vocabulary for a year, whenever my dad told me something, I said, I know that. I know that, you know. And, you know, and then my dad would get frustrated and say, yeah, you know it because I told you. And, uh, but uh, the smart child is the one who's saying, look, I haven't been on this planet as long as mom and dad. And um, I'm going to learn from them. I can learn the hard way or I can learn um, the easy way. And um, a lot of times mom and dad are teaching their kids, you know, learn from my mistakes so you don't have to repeat them. Okay? You can learn the easy way by getting good advice by people uh, with more experience and who are more spiritually mature uh, than you. So we need to learn from correction, and this is right in God's eyes. It's right in the eyes of men, except in an ungodly culture where the state wants to replace parents. Think, I'm telling you right now, the state has gotten so big, okay? Well, in Chicago, I don't know where you stand on the vaccine. Um, I just want Americans to be able to make that choice for themselves. I don't like the idea a big, powerful government telling us uh, what medication to take, um, uh, deciding our health issues for us. You know, I used to joke that the government's getting so big, eventually they're going to want to brush our teeth for us. But I stopped telling that when they started putting fluoride in the water. And I didn't, I, just, I thought, that can't be to prevent tooth decay. And apparently that was the excuse they were giving us. So, um, so um, this idea that the state knows what's best for our kids uh, better than we do. Uh, so, so there's a lady in Chicago that she was having a custody dispute. She had joint custody with her husband. And out of the blue, this wasn't even being presented by her former husband, um, the judge asked the lady, have you been vaccinated? She said no, and he took custody from her. Okay, and um, so we, you know, God entrusted the parents. So your children, your children don't belong to you; they belong to God. They're on loan to you from God, but God didn't loan your children to the state. 
Okay? And uh, I don't care if you had the last five presidents sitting down, chairs behind me, I wouldn't have changed the word I said. Okay? The White House doesn't own my kids, doesn't own your kids. Okay? God owns them, but he loans them to the parents and uh, not, not the state. And, uh, but we got an ungodly culture right now where the state wants to replace parents. It wants to dictate, even, even get to the point where it dictates um, what they're going to be taught and uh, what medical treatment they should have. And, uh, but in verse 2, so children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. What is that promise? Verse 3, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Okay? So when you look at the Ten Commandments, which sum up the entire Old Testament law, of course, Jesus even summed up the Ten Commandments. We love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Um, but when you look at the Ten Commandments, the only one that's got a promise there is honor your father and mother. And that promise is that you may be, it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, honor your parents. First, we're told to obey your parents, okay? Um, that was for Phil Fernandez until he was 18. I was supposed to obey my parents. Then at age 18, I got to start, like, honoring them. However, because I stayed and lived in the home for another two years, I still kind of had to obey them, had to go by their rules. Because it wasn't my household, okay? But then when I joined the Marine Corps, it was just honor your parents, okay? So you get relieved of that duty of obey. Parents, and this is tough, you know, you're like an absolute dictator of your home, and then your kids move off, and now you got an advisory role. You give advice, okay? And, um, you know, and if you're a 20, 28-year-old kid, you give them advice and they say, they roll their eyes and say, whatever. Um, you know, you want to get mad and you want to command, but you're just giving advice at this point. You give advice and you pray. Well, what's happened at that point, the child, if they moved out of your home, they no longer have to obey you. Now they're establishing their own home. But they're still supposed to honor their parents. Okay? And so there's a difference between obeying and honoring. You obey when you're a little guy. When you grow up, you still honor your father and your mother. You respect them. You consider them valuable. And yes, you even, even should be willing to care for them when they get old. You know, Lori hasn't been with us for quite some time, and she stays in touch and loves everybody here and asks for prayer, but she's taking care of her mom, you know? Sometimes it gets beyond what we can handle, and so we, we have to, you know, have our parents in assisted living places, and that's getting difficult. I can't even visit uh, right now. I've got a brother in the Lord that I want to visit in assisted living but they make you do this kiosk thing and it asks you if you've been vaccinated. 
And so it's just like, man, it's a crazy world in which we live. And um, tough, tough decisions um, for all of us and tough decisions for pastors. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about the church's responsibility to take care of widows indeed or someone who is really a widow. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, 3 and 4, honor widows who are really widows. Some translations read, honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So in other words, the church isn't supposed to take care of widows if they have living family members. It's their responsibility. This is where honoring your parents comes into play. When, when our parents get old, if they can no longer work, if they need someone to take care of them, it's our responsibility. Now, we can delegate that responsibility. But you're still going to be responsible for caring for your parents. With me, I mean, it was like I was 3,000 miles away. I had to really trust my sister Marie and my brother Mark and my sister Elaine. And I, I told them any time that you, that you guys need some extra money, we'll try to send some money and this and that. Um, but I have to admit, you know, God called me 3,000 miles away from my family. And it was not easy for me to come close to taking care of my, my mom and my dad. In, in their dying years, my sister Marie stepped up to the plate and did, you know, she was the caregiver for both of them. And, um, but that's the children's responsibility. Now, if you have to delegate that, fortunate for me, I delegated it to my own siblings. Okay? Um, if you don't have other siblings, or you and your siblings can't do, you delegate, but God's still going to hold you responsible. So you better make sure you don't, you don't stick mom or dad in some, uh, assisted living place where they don't even give them heat or something, okay? Um, but we've got to care for them. You know, um, I have seen so many guys and gals complaining about how bad their parents were, okay? And, and granted, not, all, not everybody here has had, like, you know, but I've had, I've had good parents. My dad, I think, was the greatest dad who ever lived, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, uh, not everybody's had that benefit. Some some didn't have a dad in the home and all. So, so there's a lot of people with some genuine gripes. But when people in general tell me, you know, mom and dad were so bad, mom and dad were so bad, mom and dad were so bad, I'm like, you know, sometimes I just look at a you know, healthy, strong guy and I say, how did you survive? The first 18 years of life. Did you feed yourself? Did you go through garbage dumpsters and get food? Did, um, you know, how did you shelter yourself? I mean, when you're 12 years old, you can't afford to pay the mortgage and all. So, you know, did, did anybody here have perfect parents? No, none of us had perfect parents. But it seems to me if you're alive as an adult, you're more than likely your parents did something right. 
I mean, my parents fed me. Now, I, you know, it was kind of a contract. I refused to eat vegetables. So, so you know, I st still tell people, as long as I've known a man to live without eating vegetables, is 61 years, and my next birthday, it'll be 62 years. But, but, um, but whatever the case, um, so I, sometimes I think we need to be a little bit more lenient on our parents. Now, let me so, tell, tell you this. If you're, if you're married and you're raising kids and you keep bad-mouthing your parents all the time, that's the standard by which your kids are going to judge you someday. If you're demanding perfection from your parents and obviously you didn't get it, you're teaching your kids to demand perfection from you. And so later on, they're going to be blaming all their problems on you. We've got to honor our parents. Okay. Now, by the way, if you're sitting out there and you're Dad used to beat you and or ran ran off with another woman, left your mom, stuff like that. You know, there are real issues. But I'm just saying, as a culture, some of us had pretty good moms and pretty good dads. Okay? What did Bo Jackson said uh, in his autobiography, Bo Jackson, the great football and baseball player, he said he was the toughest kid at his school and he could steal lunch money from the other kids any time he wanted. But the one thing he couldn't steal was a dad. Now the other side of the coin, Bo, ja Bo Jackson also said that he was shocked that people considered him a superstar because he played, you know, was an all-star in baseball, professional baseball, and an all-pro in, in football. And he, he was shocked that people were amazed at that. And he said, I'm no hero. What a hero is, is like my mom, who worked two full-time jobs to support, I don't know, it was a family of eight, and she still came home with enough energy to dish out the whoopings that were needed, okay? Uh, he said, that's a hero. And, um, but whatever the case, so uh, it, it just, it's one of those deals if, you know, I, I think the only thing that can really fully heal you know, a home, like without a dad in the home, sometimes without a mom in the home, is the Lord Jesus himself. And, um, but our prisons today, you know, are filled with guys who grew up in homes without a dad. Now, if you grew up in a home without a dad, praise God, God got you through. But um, Chuck Colson's ministry, Prison Fellowship, they say that on uh, Mother's Day, you know it. You go to the gift shop of a prison, and there's Mother's Day cards everywhere. On Father's Day, you wouldn't know it. You go to the gift shop, and most of the guys there don't have dads. So um, um, there's some real problems in America today, but if we misidentify the problems, we're probably going to come up with the wrong solution. And that's what's really been, been going on. So we need to care uh, for our parents, honor them. Now, we're no longer under the parents' leadership. You know, remember Genesis 2.24, you know, Paul says, or, or Paul, uh, God's word says in Genesis chapter 2, uh, for this cause or for uh, this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife 
and they shall become one flesh. See that they leave their father and mother. You're no longer under the parent's authority. I remember counseling a guy who wanted to divorce his wife for less than biblical reasons, and he was looking for any excuse. So one of the excuses he threw out there, one of the baloney excuses, was that his wife didn't have a good relationship with his mom. I was like, I had to tell this guy. This guy was in his 40s. I was like, dude, you didn't walk down the aisle with your mom. Okay? It's like, uh, you're going to leave your father and mother. And you're going to join with your bride. The two will become one flesh. You start a new household. No longer in the realm of um, obedience. Now you're in the realm of honoring your parents. Okay? And... um, uh, so you respect them, consider them value, valuable, and be willing to care for them when they get old. You no longer have to obey, but you still must honor them. That's the first command with a promise. You know, it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Israel's existence as a nation depended on family loyalty. Okay? And now Paul's applying this to New Testament believers. Uh, parents teach us how to survive in the world. If you obeyed your parents and learned from them and honor and respect them, you're still learning from their example, from the things that they taught you. Okay? So parents teach us how to survive in the world. Um, And then if we have to take care of our elderly parents, our children will learn more by the example we set by our actions than by our words. If we take care of our elderly parents, our children will care for us when we get older. Okay? You know, nowadays, now with all modern medical technology, we're living longer, and so, but sometimes that means we need more care. So it might be something that's beyond your knowledge. It might be something you might have to put them in an assisted living place. But you got to visit them. you got to spend time with them. Set that example for your kids so that when you get that age, uh, they'll have learned how to take care of you um, when, they get o- when, uh, when you get older. So if we take care of our elderly parents, our children will care for us when we get older. This is the Old Testament retirement plan. They didn't have IRAs, Social Security... Okay, the Old Testament retirement plan was that you raise your kids up in the ways of the Lord. You set an example for them by taking care of your elderly parents. And when you get older, if you need to be taken care of, they've learned by your example to take care of you. Okay, that's why it was so important for the church to take care of widows who were widows indeed. They had no living relatives. Um, no one to take care of them the way the society was back then and that the church had to come alongside them. But Paul, notice how Paul says, if they have family members, it's the responsibility of the families to take care uh, of them. And so God blesses children who honor their parents with long life. That's a, a general truth. Sometimes you find like the most obedient child dies young, Okay. But it's, it's, it's like a proverb. It's a general truth where that, in general, if 
children, when they grow up, honor their parents and care for them, in general, it's going to help them to live longer lives because that's the Old Testament retirement plan. Now, verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay? Uh, the, the discipline, some translations read, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So don't provoke your child to, or your children to anger. Don't, don't overcorrect them. I get, I get really kind of, I don't say anything because your kids, that's, that's, that's between you and the Lord. Now, obviously, you know, if, if I see a, if I see a guy beating up his kid, you know, I'm going to, you know, if he's small enough, I'm going to tackle him. If he's real, real big, I'll at least call 911 and plead with him to stop. Um, but, um, but whatever the case, um, you know, it's not my job to run your household. Even when I would go over to a family to counsel the families in their house, it's like, it's like Moses on Mount Sinai. You got to take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. Okay? We all ha have different spheres of authority. Okay? I, I once uh, heard of a Christian, and he uh, was married to a lady who was, uh, had been a widow when she married this guy, and um, she didn't like the way he was paying the bills with the, the funds she was receiving from the previous marriage. I don't know how it worked out, but she did the math and she figured out my husband owes me X amount of thousands of dollars. And but by the way, the guy himself was just a was just a godly guy. It just things are expensive. Taking care of four or five kids are just really expensive. And so he disagreed with her on that. Well she went for counseling to a Christian psychologist and just kept hammering the guy to the point where he ordered the guy to get a, to pay her that money. He said, "We don't have that money." He said, "Take a loan." Ouch. Okay, yeah. So it, it's um, it's a situation. When he came to to me to tell me, I said, "Look, it's none of my business." But what I do know is this: God did not appoint a Christian psychologist or even a Christian pastor, for that matter, to be the head of your household. So he can make suggestions if he wants, but he needs to take his shoes off. When he's stepping onto your turf, okay, it's holy ground. Uh, I bet you, some of you know Gary Habermas, the world's leading expert on the historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection. He's my, my friend, was, was one of my professors at Liberty. And I got permission for him to eat in the student lounge with... Me, my wife, and my daughter, he's a teacher. The teachers aren't supposed to go there. And he's a great big guy, a bear of a guy. And uh, you know, started their hockey team and everything. And um, Jerry Falwell Sr. was the, the president of Liberty University back then. And I didn't know, realize the trouble I was going to get him in. But when we went in line, 
this little lady, this, this lady must have been four foot six, this elderly lady, and she was just, she was chewing him out. And I was like, lady, do you know how many books this guy has written? This guy's lectured at like, you know, European universities, Ivy League schools, and, and but she was just chewing him out. He's like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Okay. And she, she said, she said, I'll allow it just this once. And so then he went, and I, so I apologized. I said, Dr. Habermas, I don't want to see you get chewed out. He said, no, no, you don't understand how Jerry Falwell runs things. This is her ministry, not mine. So it doesn't matter if I'm world famous, I come into the cafeteria, I'm on her turf. And I need to take my shoes off because I'm standing on holy ground. And, um, and that's the way it is with the, with the family. Um, uh, if somebody, you know, if somebody's being really unreasonable with their child, I might talk to the guy about it later, but in the end, that guy's going to make the decision, okay? But God's word says, uh, don't provoke your children to, to, to wrath or to anger. Don't overcorrect them. Don't demand perfection from them. I've seen a lot of fathers, you know, who when they were playing in the little league, they struck out all the time. And then their son goes three for four in a little league game, and all they're talking about complaining when they get home is that he struck out once. You know? Um, don't, you know, and, and let's say you're a great athlete. By, by the way, I really, you know, most of the time when athletes open their mouths, I just wish they would just play their sport and shut up. But, um, but I have to admit, sometimes I've seen some of the world's greatest athletes and their relationship with their sons who are partaking in, like, high school or college sports, and you know the kid's never going to be as good as his dad, and the dad doesn't mind. I mean, like... Uh, was it Robinson? The uh, he was the the Navy officer that um, that played professional basketball. The, yeah, he's like seven foot tall, and his son only turned out to be six foot four. So that's like here, and I can't reach as high as he was. But his son was a receiver for Notre Dame for for football, and um, and most people could see, yeah, he's pretty good receiver, but he'll never make it to the NFL. His son and all. It didn't matter who's who's on the sidelines. The seven foot guy would have either had a, a camera or a video camera, and he was just proud of everything his son did. I, I like that. Where where maybe your athletic ability, your achievements were up here. If you're trying, if your children are trying, giving hundred percent, and their achievements are there, don't don't force them to be like you. So if you're successful. Don't demand that your child be as successful as you if they're given 100% and they're falling short. Don't, don't, don't set the, the, the goalposts goal too high, the goal too high. Um, now, a lot of times, um, you tried hard, but you never really made it. And then you demand, you try to, to live through your son or your daughter and you try to force them to make it when you didn't even make it. And so you're setting the bar even higher than, than, than you ever had it. Um, 
So don't overcorrect your, your child. Don't demand perfection from them. Don't frustrate them. Don't make unreasonable demands of them. Okay? My dad expected straight A's from me. Okay? About 10th grade, he let me be on my own and probably two years too early. But, um, but he used to demand straight A's from me. Um, whereas, um, uh, you know, one of my siblings, just a C minus. You know, he would treat that sibling great. Because that's, that sibling, okay, was given 100%. And, um, and so my father understood. He just wanted 100% from us. That's all. But when you're demanding like 110%, that's, that's impossible. And uh, by the way, don't feel sorry for that sibling. That sibling is making a lot of money right now. And um, graduated... Uh, high school because my dad did that sibling, all that sibling's homework for the last last two years, but he knew that that sibling had a really good business mind and was going to do just fine. But uh, but don't make unreasonable demands of the kids. Don't and don't don't punish them for unintentional mistakes. Okay, you, what you're trying to do with a child, you're trying to break the will of a child without breaking their spirit, okay? And um, uh, Christian psychologist James Dobson used to talk about that all the time. But why do you have to break their will? Well, because they're born in sin. They're born with a sin nature, just like all of us. It's natural for kids to sin. So what you got to do, see, see, when a baby throws a tantrum, what the baby is thinking, look, I just came into this world... I think I got it all figured out. The whole world was created just for me. And if I don't get my way, I'm going to throw a tantrum. Well, guess what happens if mommy and daddy don't, don't teach the kid to stop throwing tantrums? Then when the kid's in their 20s or 30s, they take a firearm and go into a public school or a McDonald's, and they throw an adult tantrum and, and kill innocent humans. Okay, nobody, nobody had to, all the people in this room, all the people in the world, all the people that ever lived except the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody had to teach us how to do wrong. Okay, that came natural to us. We had to be, our wills had to be broken so that we would choose to do the right thing um, rather than doing the wrong thing. So, um... So you've got to break the will of a child without breaking their spirit, without getting them so frustrated that they, that they give up. So we have to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, in the training and admonition of the Lord. Um, so parents are responsible for educating their children. Let me repeat that. Parents are responsible for educating their children. Now, parents, just like with honoring your, your parents and all, parents can delegate this authority to others, but you're going to be responsible for your child's education. So if you delegate that authority, and I'm not just talking about public government-run schools, I'm talking about Christian schools too. You better check out what the teachers are teaching your kids. 
Because I'm telling you, the teachers and most teachers in Christian schools had to go for four or five years of education in secular colleges, secular universities, which are, a lot of them are so neo-Marxist and anti-Christian that sometimes you'll have teachers in the Christian schools that love Jesus or trusted in Jesus, but they, do, they themselves don't have a consistent Christian worldview. Okay? So whether your kids in the government-run schools, which I would discourage you from, by the way, I, I know a lot of godly Christians who have taught or currently teach in the public schools. But believe me, with the curriculum that they're given nowadays um, and the things that they're supposed to teach, they are behind enemy lines. We need to pray for them. Now, I know with some, I don't know if I was right to mention your name. or Okay, with, with, with Jim and Veronica. Veronica made a career teaching in the government-run schools, but they sent all four of their children. Now, that's a big commitment. That's a lot of money. But they worked hard, and Jim worked hard, and worked overtime and all, and they sent all four of their kids through the Christian school system. Now, with a, with a foundation like that, then, uh, you know, some other kids went on to college, but they've got the firm Christian foundation. They know the difference between truth and lies. Okay? That's, that's commitment and a half. Okay? But, but whether you choose the, the government-run schools, which I would discourage you from, but pray for the Christian teachers that are there. Uh, the uh, Christian schools or homeschooling. I actually think homeschooling is the best if one of the parents is capable of doing it. Okay? Just one-on-one -on -one education. And, um, uh, but I've seen homeschool families where they just couldn't handle the math at a certain point. So they had to get incorporate like online training with the math. Nowadays, you can go kindergarten through 12th all with online stuff uh, by credentialed teachers and all. And, um, but, um, but whatever the case, I love homeschooling, but if it's not something you're capable of doing, most households need like two full-time incomes just to pay the bills, and we still think we're prosperous in America. That's going away. Um, and... So you might have to delegate that authority to a Christian school. If you're going to put them in government-run government schools, I would pray that they get Christian teachers, okay, who will look for opportunities to, to proclaim the truth, and then um, I would deprogram them when they get home. So I'd have at least an hour conversation. So what did you learn in your social studies class or whatever they call it nowadays? And stuff. So, because right now it, it's really, it's really crazy because the government has declared war on families and on Christianity. Uh, it is very easy to send your kid to government-run schools and secular colleges and universities, and then you find out um, that they produce enemies of God, enemies of freedom, and enemies of their parents. Okay. Um, I remember Norm Geisler, one of my former professors, told me um, 
oh, he's a gruff guy and he loved debates and he won almost all of his debates. But he was arguing with a guy when he was teaching at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's a Christian philosophy professor. And he was arguing with another guy. The other guy was saying that you need to put your kid in a Christian school or homeschool and you've got to take him out of the, the government-run schools. And Norman Geisler was disagreeing. And then... Um, uh, so the guy, the guy asked him, do you think Jesus encouraged the apostles to send their kids to a good Roman school to get a good pagan education? Geyser looked at him and scowled, stormed out of the room, got on the phone. The phones used to be on the, Chris, the phones used to be on the wall and there was a cord to them and, uh, and uh, dialed his home, talked to his wife, Barbara. He said, Barbara, rework the rework our, our budget, we got to put our kids in a Christian school. And um, now some of you don't have the ability to teach them at home, don't have uh, the funds to put them in a Christian school. Well, the, 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 my prayer is that you will take that time to deprogram them um, because I'm, I'm telling you, if, if you want to know what's going on with the schools, um, But June 21st of this year, the New American Magazine, uh, Save Our Children, um, really good edition. But it talks about what's being taught at the public schools, critical race theory. You know, we should love all mankind. There's one human race. Yet right now, white children are being conditioned to hate their own skin color. Being taught, If you're white, you're automatically... Racist, regardless of how nice you are. The LGBTQ agenda, uh, causing many girls to decide that they're boys trapped in a girl's body, and vice versa. Uh, all all without, the, uh, with, without parents' knowledge. Of course, God's been kicked out of, out of the public schools. There, there are ways. By the way, the ACLJ and other Christian legal uh, societies have shown that based on the First Amendment, you can have student-led Bible studies, and there are things you can do. Uh, remember the uh, Coach Kennedy at Bremerton High School would go out to pray, and his students thought that was cool, so they went out to pray with him, and he got fired for that. And they, I, think it, I think it went to the Supreme Court, but I think he still got fired. Uh, Central Kitsap High School, their coaches. uh uh, were mostly Christians, and um, so what they did was they got the best leaders to be captains, and they were almost always Christians, and they'd tell them, if you guys want to pray, that's up to you. So you'd see both teams, both benches empty at the end of their games at midfield, all on their knees praying, and all the coaches would surround them like bodyguards, and uh, they never got in trouble for that. So there's things you can do that you can be uh, creative on. Um, but we've, we've got to remember, though, it's, it's the, the parents that are responsible. And, um, but uh, in, in some schools, you usually see it in, in California schools first, then it spreads to New York, and then it goes through the whole country. But there's, you can't pray to God, and instead... Uh, you have sometimes the promotion of anti-Christian beliefs and practices. Some schools now are chanting to Aztec gods. Uh, sometimes they promote Hinduism. 
Sometimes they promote uh, Buddhism in the classes. Sometimes even Islam. Shortly after 9-11, it's like, what in the world is going on here? And, uh, and then, of course, there's uh, taking American history and retelling it, acting like America was built, founded and built on slavery, and then causing children to hate their, their own uh, uh, country. Um, and then you see the decline in test scores. You know, see, you can, a school can either choose to educate, teach the truth, or indoctrinate. You, it can't do both. Okay? Um, pray, pray for our Christian educators that are in public schools because they're like foreign missionaries. It's like, it's like trying to figure out how to, how to preach Jesus and teach the truth in a Muslim country. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really gotten that bad. Now, in my 2003 book, I've been, I've been speaking on this, this topic for years. Even in my 1987 book, which is no longer in print, I uh, quoted from Phyllis Schlafly's work, Child Abuse in the Classroom, where in some of the bigger cities they were bringing in these sex ed programs to kids that uh, were just in the... Um, uh, in elementary school, and now that's becoming more and more common um, throughout the country. But here's what Gordon Clark wrote on October 31st, 1935. Gordon Clark was a Christian philosopher. He stated that education is the responsibility of the family, and it's primarily to parents that God has entrusted the children and their upbringing. Uh, he added that there are powerful forces at work in the world and in these United States to destroy the family and to make children, yes, and adults too, the creatures of the state. What he's talking about is what I call the deification of the state, where we start treating the state, the government, as if it's the all-powerful God. Instead of trusting in God or trusting in your family, we trust in the government. And so that's, this is why, you know, Plato was for the government raising children in orphanages, not the parents. Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, Communist Manifesto, they wanted the government to train, set up these, these government-run schools and train them because they were all for indoctrination and political correctness rather than education, okay? And Gordon Clark saw this back in 1935. And then, uh, let me read one more quote here. You know, Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to fall into a ditch. Okay, in 1972, 37 years after Clark's speech, so in 1972, Harvard University professor Chester M. Pierce gave the keynote address to the Association for Childhood Education International. He stated that every child in America, in America entering school is insane because he comes to school with certain allegiances, allegiances toward our founding fathers, toward his parents, toward a belief in a supernatural being. It's up to you, teachers, to make all these sick children well by creating the international children of the future. Okay? 
And um, we could, you know, we don't have time to look at it. The Frankfurt School, um, where cultural Marxism or neo-Marxism, the socialistic ideas of the Frankfurt School, um, how they, when these guys came to America, they began to take over education. And um, I believe it was at Columbia University, where, where, which was their stronghold. And they began to change the way the teachers were to teach so that, that this was back in the 1930s, so that their pupils, when they became the professors at universities, that was the 1960s. You know, we think of the whole hippie movement, the counterculture movement, as a bunch of young people who hated authority. Well, they seemed to hate authority except the authority of their professors. They had some pretty radical professors back then. So they were just doing what their professors were telling them. And now with each generation, it gets progressively worse. God's called the church to be the church. God's called Christian families to be Christian families. And um, so I don't know where you are on this. Um, but keep in mind... God places the responsibility for the training of your children on you, the parents. And, um, and so you can't, you can't stand before the Lord someday and say, well, it wasn't my fault. That's just what, uh, I didn't know what they were being taught. You should have known what they were being taught. And you should have saw to it um, that they were being taught uh, truth. Now, there's some, uh, some other advice here um, on the notes that you can look over when you get home. We're going to be moving on from there, kind of the work relationship, the boss-worker relationship um, uh, in my next sermon. Um, but I just want to reemphasize, shape the will, uh, sometimes even break the will of the child without breaking the spirit. Uh, look at Proverbs 18. We'll just close with a couple verses from there. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? Now, they, you know, we need to come to that broken spirit before God. And let God put those pieces together. But it's not our job. It's our job to break the will of a child. Um, chapter 18, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. You got, you know, if there's two things you got to teach a kid, you got to teach a kid, look, I love you. You're my kid. I love you no matter what. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, I'm always going to love you. Okay? But you also got to teach a little child, you will obey me. Okay? When a kid wants to lick an eye, uh, uh, when a kid wants to lick an electrical uh, socket or whatever they call it, or, or touch a hot stove, you got to let them know, man, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to stop you from doing it. And, um, 
There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 14, 12. What is the goal? The goal for us in raising children, and we'll never perfectly do it, is that Luke 22, 42, a fully shaped will. It's when Jesus said, look, Father, if there's any other way to redeem mankind, take this cup of suffering from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Okay, when you get to the point where your kids are talking that kind of talk and living consistently with it, okay, well done, thou good and faithful parent. You've done a good job, okay? And, um, but I'm telling you, it, I think it gets harder with every generation. I mean, my parents had it tough because this, this new invention was just creeping into all the homes in America called television. I was born the first day of 1960. And it's like, how do you raise kids to be godly when they got TV? Well, now we got computers, social media, list goes on and on. There's probably things out there I never even heard of. And, um, but you got to be obedient to the Lord. And you got to realize, look, I don't own my kids. Abraham found out the hard way. He didn't own his son. The Lord told him, take him up on a hill and sacrifice him. Of course, the Lord stopped him there. But there comes a time when we got to let the Lord know, look, my kids belong to you. But right now they're on loan to you. And um, you got to choose between what the state says and what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says. Yeah, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I just pray, Lord, that wherever we're at, whether we're sons and daughters or moms and dads or children, whatever it may be, Lord, help us to fulfill that role that you've given us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So help us, Lord, first, all of us, to trust in your son Jesus alone for salvation and realize there's salvation in no one else. And then help us to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to set us apart for your holy purposes, to mature us in Christ so that we would fulfill our roles as, as parents or as children, uh, whatever it may be, Lord. Help us to fulfill those roles. Help our homes to be pleasing in your sight. And we know, Lord, that things are getting so bad in America today that sometimes if you have a godly home, the state just puts a big target on your back. And uh, the state wants to be worshipped right now. But we're here, Lord, at Trinity Bible Fellowship because we worship the triune God alone. We only worship the true God and we will not bow before idols. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.